Welcome to the Better Bozo. My name's Mika. My name is Jeff. And today we are interviewing um, Abraham Latiner, I think. We should verify. <laughs> well, we know we're interviewing Abraham. It's just how we pronounce his how name. How we pronounce his name. No, that's true. That's, that's what we're wondering. Um, and I was put in touch with Abraham by quite a powerhouse of a woman, Heidi... Um, who's now working on Kamala Harris's campaign. Oh, wow. Um, And she had said, you have a lot in common with this young man. Be in touch. And when he and I got on the phone, we've never met in person, but we've spoken on the phone a handful of times. And every time we do, um, sparks fly. We have a really good time. Like, this is great. Um. And then since then, we've been involved in organizing white men for collective liberation. I think I do more on the organizing strategy front, and he does more on internal liberation. I think you'd really appreciate the way he mm. approaches um, personal transformation um, and how to do that on a collective level. Cool. And he sent us a bio. Um, So Abraham is a co-founder of Freedom From Beyond, a network of circles of white people working to break free from the chains of white supremacy. Abraham was a middle school teacher of students of color for a decade before realizing that good teaching alone could not dismantle white supremacy. Today, he organizes healing spaces for people with dominating power, especially other white people, men, and wealthy people so that they can begin the journey of deep, lifelong alignment with movements led by marginalized people. Whoa. That's a, that's a, that's a mouthful. Well, yeah, I think it's more than a mouthful. Um, in terms of the enormity, the magnitude of the task, I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. And to be, to be clear, it's called Freedom Beyond. Freedom, not freedom from beyond. Oh, my, freedom beyond. My mistake. And do we know? Does Abraham know to um, he to log it in? Oh, I think we just got Abraham. Hello, hooray! Hey, hey guys. <laughs> Hello, Abraham. Welcome to the Better Bozo. Thank you. It's so funny to suddenly be in your studio. <laughs> Just like that. It's like magic. Really is. Yeah. Hey, listen, it's so good to see you. Yeah, it's it, we oh yeah, we had like a Zoom call way back, but then some phone calls, but it's been a while. It's been it's been it has been a while, and I've been looking forward to this. Yeah. Also me since too. I love your I love I love your podcast name. It's like I tell you, it makes me laugh every time. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I, I think it speaks to I think it speaks to the mission we're on, to the conversation <laughs> we we hold alive between the two of us. Now the three of us. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. So just in way of introduction, I know we ha- we actually don't have a lot of time, but we have been I have been kind of introducing you to Jeff, which isn't fair because you haven't been online. Um, but also to introduce Jeff to you, Jeff is a friend I have met at men's groups who works on um, I think where we meet is if I come from a, an organizing background, Jeff comes from an internal transformation background. And I think oh, cool. on that level, the three of us kind of meet on a, um, you know, I, we, we've been discussing your piece in it and freedom from beyond. Freedom beyond. You keep I keep on doing that. I keep on doing beyond. that. I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry. okay. You're not the only one. It's, <laughs> it's, it's very, people have challenges with it. So <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that's our, maybe we can just jump right in. Yeah, I'm, I I'm, I suddenly appeared in your studio like the genie in the lamp. So <laughs> cool. This is my command. Yeah. Um, I want to start. So I read a few of your articles on Medium and and looked over your. Uh, one, it looks like one of your websites. The uh, what was it called? It's the risk taking website. What's that? The name of that website? Risk something. Yeah, it's my blog. Risk something. Yeah, loved the quotes from James Baldwin and Audre Lorde and. And it also seems really fitting that you're, how do you characterize yourself? A stormtrooper? What's the characterization? Uh, yeah. What is it? Um, a stormtrooper deep in the heart of the Death Star, quietly loosening bolts with, yeah. uh, with my Imperial socket wrench. <laughs> yes! which, which I love. And I, uh, it seems fitting to me because what you talk about and what you're working towards the collective liberation, especially around white men, wealthy white men, does feel like it's in the stratosphere for most people, especially privileged white people. So that to me, I want to say I'm impressed and I'm also really curious of how that's been going and how it continues to go. Because it seems like one of the biggest tasks that anybody could take on. Wow. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I just, I'm appreciative that you all are making a space where um, someone like me can feel great about taking up space. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, that's, that's really, I, I, I'm clear. I feel clear on a couple of things. One is that absolutely people of my demographic have been taking up so much space uh, for, for so long that there's something that needs to shift and there is a listening and a leaning into listening and that that's paradoxically needs to be intertwined with making more spaces in which uh, people like me can actually take up more space uh, so that we can actually have, be able to assert different narratives into the communities in particularly of white men and particularly rich white men in my case um, we need to be able to be taking up some more space with those narratives in those communities. And if we don't, so I, people making space like what y'all are trying to make, I think is really important. And so I'm really grateful that you're making it possible for me to hold the tension of like knowing how to go and listen and focus on listening and also to have spaces in which we can go and actually take up more space because without taking up space, how do we move forward? How do you guys and me connect to learn from each other, uh, support each other, challenge each other? We can't do it. It it requires taking up space, you know? So, Yeah, I so appreciate and relate to that, Abraham, because many years ago when I did my undergraduate degree, 
was at a small liberal college in Washington state called Fairhaven. And I was one of the very few white male heterosexual cisgendered men in the program. Mm -hmm. And I got my ass handed to me because basically I was, I was the death star. I was, you know, Darth Vader. I was the bad dude. And so I shut up for a long time after that. Um, and, and it was really humbling and in ways humiliating and, and on, it gets really tough to argue sort of the case. It's a both and that is complex and I can really appreciate you speaking to it. It happened again for me in grad school, again, privates, university, uh, really valued diversity. And so right, one of the very few white male American cisgendered, uh, people in the program. Uh, mm. and, and now it feels like it's refreshing to hear you talk about the complexity of we do need to take up space. It's how we take up space and where and when we take up yes, space. That seems so exactly. critically important because you're right. We have an outsized amount of power. And if we don't know how to use it at all, let alone, well, we're just going to keep digging a bigger hole. Right. So, uh, and nobody, no, go, oh, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Just that, uh, just as an addendum and realizing the, the thing I keep repeating myself who benefits from me not exercising my power? You know, who benefits oh, by me question. saying, oh, I could, I can do this. I can't, I can be seen as a respected, you know, voice that should be heard and has merit. And by me not using it on principle, like ever, is anyone actually benefiting? Is that actually offering my voice to somebody else? And, and again, there's, there's paradox in here because yes, there are moments in which I can absolutely cede the microphone. I, I have access to the microphone and I'm going to say, I'm giving this microphone to this person for this specific reason, but that doesn't mean on principle, always saying, I will not access this microphone. I will not speak into it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I, I feel two guys with microphones in their face. <laughs> <laughs> hey, give me the mic, Abraham. All right, come on. <laughs> All right, so I feel like we've uh, we've we've dove into a deep end. I kind of want to slow down a little and and unpack just for the sake of some listeners who might be new to this conversation. And I also want to say that I'm a little I'm still I feel like I tread um lightly here, new to this conversation myself, even though it's mm. been pointed out mm -hmm. that I remember when we had that conversation with Ariel, one of our first interviewees, She's uh, she does um, a lot of education around sexual harassment and queer and trans and gender uh, yeah. and gender uh, phobia in, in, in office spaces. And she's like, but you are the front line. And Jeff and I yes. looked at one another thinking, wait, if we're the front line, we might be in a little bit of trouble right. here. <laughs> right. We need some help. <laughs> So, so just to unpack what we're naming, what I hear both of you naming here for a second is uh, there's some basic assumptions. One is, if I understand correctly, cisgendered white guys have taken up a lot of space over history, um, and it is time to be a little more conscious of, you know, how we tread, how we walk in the world. That's that's an understatement, right? This is this is kind of assumption number one. Do you want to? Well, I just want to again. This is for the better bozo. So cisgendered means, for those that don't know, that our assigned gender at birth matches our identity, how we identify. So, for instance, I have a penis. I identify as a man. That makes me cisgendered. But if I had a penis and I identified as a woman, I am not cisgendered. 
And we're explaining mm. these things because because this shit is complex, and most of us don't know what the hell yeah. we're talking about. Um, and then, and then, <clears> so that's a, those are that's that's a beginning assumption. And then, Abraham, what you're stepping in with is the next assumption is get the you know get the hell out of the way. This is this is not it's not for us to take up as much space. It's time for us to pass the microphone around. Um, Sometimes to other folks, and then assumption number three now is yes, and it's not enough to do that. There is a certain space that we need to take up. There is a responsibility that comes with the power that we hold besides getting the fuck out of the way that might actually be irresponsible. Am I understanding all that correctly? That's it. Exactly. At a certain point, it becomes irresponsible um, to cede that much responsibility. Yeah, that's the thing. When you were saying, does anyone benefit from my silence? I immediately thought of corporations and the patriarchy and the 1%. Right. right. So, so if Somebody does. somebody's benefit, if I'm shutting up and not talking about this complex shit that right. might have people pissed at me and I believe right. in it. So it's worth doing. Uh, if I'm not doing that, then hell yeah, somebody's benefiting, although not the person I want to benefit. So tell us what you're up to in, in that regard. Well, well, yeah, I think to, to, to speak to what you're saying, first of all, um, I think it's really important for me to say people saying white men have been taking up too much space. It's like, yes, that's true. And without the addendum of like, really for the purposes of rich white men, I think it not putting class in there, mm. we run the risk of doing some real powerfully bad erasure. Mm. Um, because I am coming at this as someone who has never known poverty, who has never worried about a meal, about where my next meal is coming from, about whether I have a roof over my head. Mm. So I really think, that, and that doesn't mean that uh, poor working class, middle class white men don't also take up uh, disproportionate amounts of space in various ways. But I think if I, that assumption, as you said it, I feel really compelled to add class in there. Um, Great. I appreciate that. Because we don't, it's, I, I think compared to rich white men, poor and working class white men do not have an, take up an outsized amount of space um, at all, except for ones that we prop up in our, in service of. Uh, that the that rich white men might prop up, like listen to this voice of this person who may or may not be poor working class, but who maybe has the the vibe of someone like that. We're going to use this person's voice as a way to bolster our case. But right, like um, politicizing uh, a coal miner Joe for Joe the plumber. Joe yeah, the plumber. Joe the plumber. Perfect example. Totally. Yeah. Look, I'm so human. I can really relate to these other humans that I can't relate to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, that's important, but yes, I love the tension you're, you're naming around, uh, still needing to take up space. And what it really comes down to is, are we going to, because our culture is so founded in individualism, it infects, I've found at so many levels, including progressive organizing, like organizing for liberation or organizing to win progressive change there is, I can still move in there with a really individualistic mindset, which says, how can I, as a wealthy white man, develop myself to the point of like some sort of purity or some sort of like uh, up to some sort of standard where I become an exception, 
maybe I can reach exceptional status in which I am different and thus exactly thus excused from all this other systemic stuff that's happening with my demographic. Is there a level that I can achieve and attain Mm. that can get me out? And that is what I find is, is mixed up in this whole idea of the paradox of taking up space in order to seed space. So if I individually, my goal is to, to, to pass the mic, me as one, one rich white man passing the mic is, is good. And it's nothing like me organizing 200, the 200 other rich white guys who are demographically and geographically standing right next to me. Um, you know, I'm in Boston, mm-hmm. right? Tech, biotech, um, uh, uh, the university system, like so such a hub of white male, wealthy white male yeah. dominating power mm. for me to just focus on my own individual purity and not be organized to bring those 200 guys who are right next to me to also say, Oh, we can also seed our mics. It's, it's like, there's something, there's something, um, that is egotistical about it. And, but in order to be lit, be relatable and to be someone that these 200 other rich white guys will actually even think about listening to. If I can't learn to take the mic and speak with and command the mic at times, they're, they're not going to do it. They already have these ideas about what I am based on they, if they know I do like anti-racism work yeah. and I identify as an aspiring feminist. And like, they've got all these ideas about what this means about guilt and all this that if I can't also speak to them in a way that they understand and make the moves that may be rooted in privilege and entitlement, of course, you know, like I have the right to have a microphone here. You all should listen to what I have to say. Like <laughs> that's some, that's entitlement. And I, the, 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 the thing that I've been saying to myself over and over, and you ask what I'm up to, it's leaning into entitlement. Ooh, I that's like that. Actually, okay. that's where I'm going. And obviously, there's, I guess, purposefully inflammatory. I, what I really mean is being in community with people who are struggling under oppressive circumstances, being in community and having real relationships to the point that I can, I can pick up my entitlement and see it and, and, and like look at it and hold it and not be afraid and ashamed of it. And instead to say, this is what I've, I've, I've got. How do I wield it as a tool so that I, these 200 rich white guys will actually listen to a damn thing I have to say? Because if I don't know how to do that, they'll just dismiss me and I'll, I'll be in my individual purity quest. Yeah, you mentioned that in one of the articles you wrote that I read about how do we do that very thing you said the word dismiss without being dismissible. Um, One of my challenges ends up being, I have a lot of frustration around this, what feels like a consistent paradox, the complexity of, oh yeah, how do I have strength and power with, without having power over and also stand up for what I believe in or, or, or speak to the complexity of this dynamic we're talking about here, privilege, power, entitlement. How do we wield those things? Because it's so easy for us to go in the bucket of, uh, shut up, white dude. You know, you've you've had too much time. So just shut up and listen. And on the one hand, great. I could use a good old can of shut up and listen. 
<laughs> and at some point, uh, I actually do need to use my voice and, and use it well. And that's going to be a messy process. And I think this is where I run into a lot of challenge, which is I, I don't get the same allowances to make a mess when I'm trying to, to sort of write a, a historical, cultural wrong that's been consistent for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. So I, I'm also hearing, um, I, I, as an organizer, I, I have a great appreciation for um, the difference between personal liberation and collective liberation, understanding and owning that there is no personal liberation without collective liberation, finally. Mm. You can pat each other on the back. And and this also brings me all the time, this is the spiritual quests. So I've, I've, I've hung out in different circles um, bounced around India, went to different, you know, New Mexico, northern New Mexico spiritual centers where mostly white people get together and learned how to meditate and reach, you know, their own, quote, enlightenment yeah. and not really make the connection. And even even in Buddhist spiritual speak, uh, uh, um, you what once somebody does reach enlightenment, they have to return until everybody is enlightened. And I like what we're saying about also on a spiritual or just on an mm-hmm. organizing level, there is no personal liberation yes. until there is collective liberation. So I'm hearing, I'm hearing that in what you're saying. Is that is that true, Abraham? That's right. And I'm about I'm, so one thing I, I will share. Um, it is something that uh, I'm not sure how people receive it, but it is a helpful narrative for me. Um, so, you know, there's the Bodhisattva vow, which you're referring to, exactly, right? Yep. Which enlightened beings cannot make the full transition to um, the, the sort of a different realm before ensuring that all, all beings are going to join them in that trip to the next realm. Is that, that's kind yep, of. Yep, yep, that's the reference. Yep. Exactly that. <laughs> and so I sometimes think and quietly talk about uh, the Brody Sattva vow <laughs> in which bros, <laughs> bros cannot, if we are individually trying to reach feminist, anti-racist nirvana by ourselves, we are, there is something really wrong because really we have to get all bros ready to pass into anti-racist and feminist nirvana. And I recognize I'm being a little bit flip and certainly I can be held accountable for that. Um, again, w- what I try to do is I think, I-, I think what are the stories that can help me advance? And think the, the beauty of that story of the Bodhisattva vow, which I like really want to be careful to not, it's not in any way disparaging it. In fact, it's like that story is so powerful and so compelling um, and I want to make it accessible to mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. and, and sort of, uh, something that actually can connect with other white guys. That's not so like dour and serious. And so I think about that as like, what an amazing, beautiful dynamic to set up, to say, stop fighting this individual fight. Stop trying to get there by yourself. This is the root in my experience, the root of why I've been so under the, the, the control of patriarchy and white supremacy in my life, it is largely through the mechanism of individualism where I think that it's possible for me to get free or to get pure by myself. So to take that frame and say, this actually applies in my experience to what it means to organize white men. Um, and it's a story that can allow me to make sense of what's happening and that I can hopefully share with other people 
to get a sense of, of shared story, even if it is rooted in a little bit of flipness. At the same time, I think there's deep truth in it. And so that, that I think, connects to what we're talking about. So like the can of shut up and listen that you said we might need to drink, Jeff, which I appreciate <laughs> that. And it's like, at the same time, I'm like, we've been drinking cans of shut up and listen, but not given to us by queer people or women or gender nonconformed people or people of color. The yeah. can of shut up and listen has been given to us by other white men. And if you're like me, you grew up drinking that shit all the time. So it's it, there, the paradox is I need to stop drinking the can of, cans of shut up and listen from the, from the white male power structure and I, I, yes, I can start drinking the cans of shut up and listen that are about people who don't look like me and who don't identify as, as white men like mm, me. Mm, mm. Yeah. Wait, so that, that go yeah. ahead. Just that that flip seems really important sure. for me to, to, to hold that paradox that both things are true at the same time. I've already been so trained to shut up and listen my entire life <laughs> in white male dominated spaces. And, but I've been taught that, uh, and I've been taught to similarly not drink a single sip of shut up and listen in spaces that are not dominated by white men. And so there's a flipping that has to happen in the healing in my experience. Uh, so, so that brings me to, to, I think a next question, which I figure you'll find familiar. Um, but you know, often I run into men's groups that are, um, very self-congratulatory, patting each other on the back. We're doing a great job. Here we are, three guys sharing microphones amongst one another. Um, <laughs> way to go, guys. Way to go, We're guys. We're doing great. Uh, uh, and, and, and you know what? I, I, I think it's okay. There's an extent to which I think we can hold each other up and, 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 and do that. And my question, the next question is, um, wh who's keeping us in check. What is the mechanism through which, you know, as we create these men's groups and as we name these ailments that we are dealing with and, and dismantling a patriarchy, as much as um, I really appreciate the conversation that, that Jeff and I have on the better bozo and that you're bringing um, here with freedom beyond what, Guys, what's keeping us in check here? What what's our mechanism? Do you have one for freedom beyond? Uh, try this one weird trick. Be accountable. <laughs> no, <laughs> Nine ninety nine free for the first month. <laughs> exactly. <Yep. laughs> um, I mean, you're you're asking a question that to me will never be answered, and I can. Only, it's one of those things that. Like the Rilke quote says, uh, live into the questions so that one day you you might or live the questions now so that one day you might live into the answers. Uh -huh. That to me encapsulates the own. I, I don't know what else we can do about that question except live in it and sit in it. That like, wow, there's no easy solution here because if I think on, I, I usually go to extremes. This is why I love polarity work. So I can say like, well, is the solution that we like can't have any conversations without um, a trans person, um, a woman and a person of color or maybe some combination uh, observing and, and giving us feedback. Right. That's a, as soon as I say that, it sounds absolutely ludicrous. Mm -hmm. Right. To think mm -hmm. that we would just that that's a standard thing we have to do. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, to say 
So these conversations must always be closed. There must never be anyone else present who is not identifying as one of uh, us bozos. That also <laughs> seems like, hmm, that can't be it either. So it's like, great, okay, we can throw out the extremes. There's going to be answers that might emerge in between those extremes, but we don't ha- we can we can let go of any illusion that it's going to be some simple try this one weird trick. Um, so this is I the often- Dharma. This is essentially the the this is the path to walk is what I'm hearing you say. There's a guiding principle to keep in mind at any given moment and to d- breathe it in. I think that's part of it. I don't think that's the whole story, but that to me is absolutely foundational is first letting go of, of, again, some sort of purity or either or right, wrong answer sort of approach. Mm. And I guess the part where I'm struggling more is in my, all I can speak to is in my experience, it has been through personal relationships, um, both one on, especially one-on-one, but occasionally um, also spreading to a larger group but that without a foundation of transformative, mutually healing and supportive relationships with people who don't, who aren't bozos. I love that I get to say bozo as a shorthand and I haven't even defined it, but for people who are not bozos like us, um, there is, those relationships are foundational and cannot be substituted. And also at the same time, reading there are readings and movies and documentaries and poetry from people who are not bozos like us that have absolutely informed me but fundamentally i think that it is in community that we uh, can experience I, well let me say in my experience the people i'm around myself the data suggests to me that if we're not in community especially coming from a dominating privileged identity um Without community, we can't. Transformation doesn't isn't accessible. The gates are locked, mm. and so how, my question is: How do we get in individual healthy reciprocal relationships? Not because that's the be all and end all answer to your question. It's not, but it's more like without that. In my experience, I don't know how people would build a foundation that you could build some sort of organization or system or sort of structure that we could say, you know, we are, quote, we are accountable, quote unquote, mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. anytime someone says, here is how our accountability works. I'm always like, I'm always like questioning. So I'm like, okay, mm. that, that sounds great, but any mechanism, like any sort of simple, it sounds like a try this one weird trick. Okay. We got our system set up. We've got these people placed in these, what to me sound like tokenizing sort of positions. Yep. We got the people of color. We got the women. We got the gender non-conforming people. Um, thanks everybody for playing your role. Now we can do our work because y'all are holding that down. Yep. <laughs> right. Just one white dude uh, checking boxes so I can still have my privilege, but it looks very different now. Sort of some yeah. version of that. The, the thing so that, that comes so- up strongly for me here, Abram, as you speak is our lack of resilience as a culture the fragility piece around so much of this uh, because mm. to be in community, right. And, and uh, I think of Parker Palmer's words, the author and educator where he talks about having audacity yes. and humility, audacity and humility. Um, and there's such a difference between audaciousness, audacity and arrogance. There's such a difference between uh, capitulation and humility, right? 
Yeah. I think we're really undereducated, uh, dangerously so, on the distinctions that, that are nuanced, or at least culturally they're very nuanced. Um, mm. Because to have these kinds of conversations, we, I go back to taking risks. Um, how do we take the risk to get it wrong and, and have the humility yeah. to hear how we're wrong and be able to push back on a thing we think is right? Um, especially when we've got these charged populations where there ends up being such a, back to use the word you use, polarity. There's such a polarized, often, uh, set of positions. Um, So, uh, so much of this for me is about resilience. Mm, mm. Consistently building greater resilience to to be more open and and to also not just lay down when someone says, oh, what you say doesn't matter because you're white and male and rich. It's like, well, well, hang on. I know those things are true, and, and you talk about it too, holding paradox, holding right. holding the tension, which typically is uncomfortable, back to our lack of resilience around being uncomfortable. Well, that's it. And that, that you're speaking to, if, if you ask me, like, what do, if I, what is my sense of what is needed more of? What, uh, what could we use more of when it comes to, like, building communities of bozos? I am enjoying this so much, guys. Like, <laughs> you have no idea. Like, better community. Like, what do we need for better communities of bozos? It really the personal trans- the better bozo. That's right. The, uh, the it comes down to the personal transformation that you're talking to, Jeff. And I'm so I'm so appreciating that you two come from different backgrounds in terms of your organizing focus. Uh, the momentum organizing community that I came up in. Um, ask people to think, uh, to really look at theories of change and to look at what our organizing theories of change are. And the, um, the way I learned it was looking at personal transformation, alternative com- uh, building alternative communities uh, or institutions, and then challenging existing dominating institutions as like three very broad stroke buckets um, that we could orient ourselves in our organizing to. And really what they're trying to get us to do is to see we need all of this. If we don't have people who are focused on creating space for people to have transformative experiences in which they're healing from their trauma, they can't show up to the the work of challenging dominant institutions in a sustainable, resilient way because they're not rooted in their own healing. And if those communities of of personal transformation are not held in dialogue with the challenging of dominant institutions, we'll get what uh, Mika said. We'll have the white people learning how to meditate in isolation and disconnected from movements and reproducing their power. Um, And of course, if we don't have alternative institutions that we can actually say, not this, that. Look, it's already happening. Look, we don't have to have banks that work so shitty. We have have alternative banks that we can point to. So really embracing like, oh yeah, we need people doing all this. How do we be in reciprocity together? How can each of these theories of change make sure that we are distributing the resources and the support that we all need in order to move forward? Mm. Go ahead. Well, so I, when we first met Abraham, I think it's probably over a year ago at some point, we, uh, a mutual friend put us together, Heidi Sayak. Yeah. And I feel like it's good to name her because she's such a powerhouse in women's organizing. Yeah. It was just recently, um, I think, after the Kavanaugh hearings, which were very um, illustrative of where things are at 
politically in the conversation that we're having on an overall mainstream level with uh, um, Judge Kavanaugh just showing all of us how what we you know he he did get the 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 job after throwing a temper tantrum. Um, right. and, and being very proud of drinking beer and alcoholism. And it speaks to a lot. It reflects to me a lot of where we're at as a culture. We also, when we talked, we named, um, we named the march in, in Charlottesville. And a lot of white men, what felt like very lost white men chanting, you know, you will not replace us. Jews will not replace us. And, right. and as a Jew, we had, I mean, we had this conversation and, and, and it just also as a white man, I feel like it was poignant to recognize how lost many white guys are. Mm. Um, and in activist circles, I think there's a tendency and, and, and rightly so probably if I'm a person of color or if I'm in any kind of marginalized groups to look at that group and say, I don't want to have anything to do with those fuckers. Um, those supremacists, those terrible people. But I think in our circle of bozos, we <laughs> took a moment to recognize that, oh, those guys are also bozos. And what you, if, if I can bring this wow. up, you named John, the John Spencer saying, how are we actually, oh, Richard Spencer, Richard Spencer, sorry. Yeah. Um, how are we organizing in such a way that we're um, ready to somehow approach yep. that community, um, and it struck me because more often than not, we're like we're eight, we're we're very um, we're ready to set ourselves apart from that community. But you were one of the first guys that I um, had this conversation with, where you were ready to say, "No, no, no! How are we ready to absorb that community, approach that community, and speak differently to it?" Do you remember that conversation? Mm. Yeah, I mean, and to me, this gets to why I, I believe that we have to become masters of polarity work. And so the polarity work that I've learned from Barry Johnson, who's a mentor of mine, but has roots in many different traditions and is actually patterns across different faith and philosophical traditions. So it's not unique in some way, but I learned it in the framing of polarities and it's basically the understanding that the many of the challenges we face that feel like intractable problems, we can reframe as these two poles, these in unmoving eternal forces that exist in dynamic tension that uh, cannot be moved in any way and which we have to learn to move with. And so any, a lot of the problems we experience might be us over-focusing on one pole at the expense of the other pole or focusing on the other pole at the expense of the first pole. And so we end up unable to harness the power of each and experiencing the downsides of each. So for example, here, you have this situation of you got these uh, white men chanting, uh, you will not replace us, right? Calling on a narrative that is all about racism, uh, xenophobia, anti-Semitism, all this. Mm. And if we, we could approach it from the, we got to say hell no to this. And certainly in that moment, that day, in that place, I think there was a call for us to show up with a hell no, fuck this mm. energy. Mm. It says no, 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 not at all. This is not what gets to happen here. This does not get to have 
Um, this does not get to go unchallenged. At the same time, and so that is a challenge dynamic, and that is leaning on the side of the polarity between challenge and affirmation. So if we can only challenge, if we can only say, fuck the Nazis, fuck the Nazis, fuck the Nazis, uh, excuse me, I don't know how y'all are going to edit this. You're but, good, you're good. Um, bombs okay. are okay on the better bozo. <laughs> okay, okay. So we, if we can only come with that, we absolutely need to come with that sometimes, and if that is the only approach we can draw from, then we have nothing to say to them if they were to, in a moment of honesty, to say, well, what else are you going to offer me? Yep. Okay, no to this? Fine. What else? Because I'm miserable. Right. I'm clearly <laughs> unhappy. Why else would I have shown up at this march trying to intimidate people? How does somebody decide to go to a march with the express goal of intimidating? Uh, and in particular, intimidating people who... Um, there's no, there is almost no actual data to support a claim that these people are trying to hurt us, right? In terms of Jews, people of color, uh, this whole idea of replacement, like, is there data to support this there? I don't, I would argue there isn't. And yet, so, so why would they show up there? And if we can't then twin that polarity, we've got the pole of challenge. Okay. F Nazis. Great. If we can't find the moments to say you deserve support, people who identify as Nazis. You actually haven't gotten enough support. You, your life is important. Your, uh, your story is important. You're, you, you are someone who is needed on the earth. Mm. And in the, in the process of collective liberation, without you, we can't make it. That level of affirmation, to me, needs to be just as loud at the right time as the fuck you Nazi. And I think both are needed. And the challenge is it's often we get sucked into this question of, well, which one is it? When instead it is a dance, I think, between these poles of affirmation and challenge. Then the question becomes, how do we learn to tap into the moment to know where is this? Is this a moment for more challenge, more affirmation? And it may, and it can exist on like, a moment-to-moment -moment level in which I, in an argument with this person, have to dance between. I'm going to have moments where I'm saying, you know, you're right about this. You know, talking to someone who has Nazi beliefs, I'm actually looking for those little moments where I'm like, 100%, I agree with you. Yep. Yeah. The, this is some Jedi shit, by the way. To go back to Star Wars. <laughs> That's what I'm... I, I, want, I want to be a part of, like, the community of practice that is developing... Uh, yeah, yeah Jedi, budding Jedis who are in their stormtrooper uniforms so that they become such badasses at mm. loosening the bolts inside of the Death Star that it once once the rebel attack comes, it's already game over from the inside because of the coordination that's been happening. So yeah, that, that speaks to what I'm yeah, thinking. And it feels like, Abraham, in this model, the rebel attack in quotes isn't actually an attack it would be some kind of sea change that mm. that has everyone being carried with it if i'm mm. following you because there's a big both and right which is to say hey yeah. i hear you neo nazi and on that point i actually agree with you and, and gosh i think there's real intelligence there and i have a question for you this doesn't make sense exactly. then you know so we can bring curiosity and then again with the resilience because holy shit is it hard to say fuck you nazi and then go hey you want to come to my house for dinner 
Right. Uh, when we, it's playing with fire, it's playing yeah, with fire. So I don't, in terms of like knowing where to say, Hey, I feel you, you're right about that. Mm-hmm. It is playing with fire and it is taking on real risk that we have to be ready to be accountable for. I have to be ready to, for, for maybe I actually chose the wrong moment to say to the, this Nazi, you know, I feel you. There's something about what you're saying and uh, that, that actually makes sense to me, not about the whole genocide thing, but about your longing for belonging. Yeah. Okay. Wait, wait. Oh, I, absolutely. I got to yeah. I gotta push. I feel, I hear the voice in me, the solidarity activist voice in me. Please bring it in. Bringing bring it in, in the, the other end of that spectrum. Yes. And I appreciate the Jedi moment. And I'm also kind of like, wait a minute, but we swore an oath at some point to stand in solidarity with marginalized yeah. groups and, right. and to, and to, you know, to, to not cross that picket line. Um, mm. And what I'm hearing is, um, is that we might be crossing the picket line here. If I was in a marginalized community and, and you swore solidarity with me. We got arrested together. What the hell are you doing? You're hanging out with the rich folks. You're hanging out with the <laughs> with the neo Nazis now. You're hanging out with all them white guys. I'm just naming the nervousness, the tension there. Yeah. I'm appreciating that tension there. I'm a little bit afraid of it in in the polarized world yeah. that we're living in, in the movement spaces that we walk in these days, where we're called out right and left, real easy to get called out these days. You know, you were earlier. I appreciate that a lot, Mika, because it feels really important. And Abraham, I don't know if you knew this, and of course we can't see it on the podcast. But when you were talking about the polls, you were essentially doing yep. an infinity sign. That That's it's right. not either or, that it is a, right. you know, sort of, uh, certainly in Buddhism, you know, or, or um, it, there is no separation, right? And you said this, and it freaked me out. I am Brett Kavanaugh. I was like, whoa, dude. This is a couple <laughs> couple episodes yeah. ago. And <clears throat> right. that there's the discomfort. There's the resilience. There's the, the risk-taking, the pushing on the dominant narrative to be able to say, mm. yeah, I am... I'm partly that neo-Nazi. I'm also right. partly the, you know, the old black woman on the bus. Uh, I'm also partly the shithead frat dude who's, you know, hazing some poor bastard uh, and being, you know, rich and sexist yeah. and all that jazz. Um, so it feels like this is th- the conversation that needs to deepen around totally. expanding our capacity to be with. Because, you know, in my work as a therapist... If I'm not curious and if I'm not working to attune and get someone's world, no matter if I agree with them or not, I'm doing a terrible job. I don't have to agree with it. And likewise, I'm not, my job is not to be liked. And this feels really important too. Speaking of tension, Mm. my job is not to be liked. That's a really tough one for me. Uh, When I facilitate groups or I'm in sessions with, with individual folks, or couples, it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, I really want to be liked right yeah, now. I really want right. to say it's going to be great and you're doing good work. Right. But it's not true right now. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah, and that's it. The infinity sign does refer to a dance uh, mm-hmm. in which we actually don't, we don't get to stay static in, in, in any moment. There is a dynamism to it that's always reassessed. 
reassess, reassess, because if I am clear that there is a moment for hugging someone who identifies as a Nazi, I feel crystal clear that in the universe, there are moments in which a bozo like me, in which the best, most strategic and healing move for liberation that I could make is hugging someone who identifies as a Nazi. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say where that is, but I am clear that there are moments like that. Mm. I also feel clear that there are moments in the universe in which the best thing I could do for liberation would be to punch a Nazi. Yeah, no, now, I appreciate that. I don't that. know yep. where those are. And the moment that I feel like I have a one weird, try this one weird trick to know which it is, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Yep. But that is the tension I want to walk with so that when I come face to face with the Nazis, I am a master of polarities in which I am able to, at the micro minute, moment to moment, but also the macro level uh, that is saying, you know, which swing is the United States on? Oh, we swang, we swang, we swung so far over into individualism, into the, into the, into individual freedom that we have no connection with the need for equity. And so as a whole, we're actually on a huge swing that is maybe hundreds of years. And simultaneously, this moment, what am I going to say? That moment, here, what am I going to say? Being able to be masters of that so we are actually ready to face the Nazis when that happens, which I, I think for many of us it already has, and for other people it hasn't, and they feel there's distance. But I think that day is coming. So I think it's really important. Yeah, I so appreciate that. The the macro micro, the big swing, the hundreds of years, cultural cult of the individual. I very much agree. Why would I need equity? Because it's a bootstrap society. Right. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, man. I did it. You can too. Um, right. which is horseshit, but, uh, <laughs> and totally entitled privilege zone. And I, I also want to make just one clarification for people listening. We're not just talking about Nazis. We're sort of in Nazis in quotes as, uh, something that epitomizes, uh, yes. uh, uh, the far end of a spectrum, the, the pole, That's one right. of the poles could be, you know, white supremacist could be, um, uh, could fascist could be anybody. Right. Thank you. That's a, that's a really, yes, we're short. I'm shorthanding similar to bozos. I'm using Nazi as like someone who openly holds views that are pro genocide or ethnic cleansing or you know, domination of women in an overtly sort of structural, like, yes, it's great that we're oppressing women sort of way. Gotcha. Yeah. So I know we don't have a lot of time today and I also want to name you're you said you're you're based on the East Coast in Boston. We're based in Boulder County, Colorado, Colorado. Um, and I'd like to hear maybe a little bit of practical because I love your work. I love where you're coming from. I would like to actively promote freedom beyond. Um, is there mm. anything you can share with us? To, you know something you can speak to, especially in the communities yeah. that we are active in um, that can shed light on, on some of what you're up to. Yeah. Thank you for that. I appreciate the, the support and reminding me to like talk about the projects that I'm working on. <laughs> yep. So yeah, cool. freedom beyond is a national network of small circles of um, white, of people, particularly white people who are aware that, Racism is a scourge, that racism is something that we need to fight because it's tearing our country apart. Um, 
and don't necessarily know how to go about it. Um, and not that they don't know anything, but maybe they've come to a point where they see, you know, I can read all the books I want. I can watch all the documentaries I want. I can read all the Facebook posts and the blog posts and all this. And I can even have be friends with people of color. I'm doing all these things that it seem like they should move forward. And there's a wall. There's something like, I don't know how to move past this wall. And what I and the, my uh, colleagues have found is that a wall in white communities that prevents us often from um, diving into the work to fight against racism at a deeper level is a sense of isolation and individualism. That that is actually at the heart of what we call white supremacy culture, this illusion that I can do, um, I, can, I can accomplish anything in the fight against racism by myself, uh, or that I could transform myself and my understanding of myself as a white person alone that that's actually at the root of the problem and so in in recognizing that if we build community with other white people that is actually an anti an act of deep anti-racism which seems confusing to some people because it really isn't about people of color it's actually creating space for white people to build and forge deep bonds and connections that hold that hold the tension of challenge and affirmation it's not a so these circles are not about um just going and feeling good about yourself mm. as a white person mm. they are also not a place where you can go and expect to get beat up and judged uh, for how bad you are inherently as a white person neither of those things is going to happen we are going to uh, live in a kind of dance between affirming you that you as a white person um, actually deserve to live a life of integrity. You deserve to live a life that actually means something in which your values actually get to be the way you live. And that um, the way to do that is going to be through being in community. And in fact, so by helping people experience real deep connection with other white people, it's actually foundational in my experience and the experience of people who, who I work with that foundation of, Oh, I have a community. I have a home base as a white person where I can go and bring all my mess, all the stuff that I don't understand, all the stuff that I'm wrong about, all my shame about the people of color that I've harmed in the past or uh, confusions that I've had. I can bring all of it and not have this sense of like, am I taking up too much space? a space that is actually particularly for that is foundational because then I can go out to the multiracial organizing meeting. That's like trying to win the next DA, you know, district attorney election, to elect a progressive DA yep. or even the presidential uh, election or like the, you know, the campaign to not build a prison um, and instead build a school, something like that, where there's a multiracial um, leadership structure. I can show up there and not expect that to be my home base. Because I think that we have very, one day I believe that it'll be possible for communities of white people to find our home base in multiracial community. And I think we are by and large so far away from that because of our own unhealed trauma and because of everyone's unhealed trauma that um, we shouldn't be, that shouldn't be where we set our sights in terms of engaging new white people. Like I want a place where new white people can come into movement work 
in which they don't have to pretend, they don't have to hide, they don't have to only shut up and listen. There's going to be some of that, but there's also going to be, no, 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 we actually have to learn to speak, but we're going to do it with other white people so that we can actually not be harming people of color by sharing the things that we're confused about, that we're waffling all over Mm. and all that. So it's really a foundational community that's not about like, let's go take this wild action out in the world together. It's more, let's actually bear witness to the diversity between us. That this group of bozos, the three of us, is actually, there's a lot of diversity between us, I've found. Uh, Because you take any group of white men and you put them in the same room, and the first thing that comes up is the diversity between them. Whether it's around class, whether it's around region or culture or language um, or uh, body image, like there is so many different kinds of diverse experiences within the realm of white men. And that that getting to live into that with people where you're building trust is almost for me has been like a primer to then go out to like, now I'm meeting up with black women and people of color and indigenous folks. And like, Whoa, now there's a much more like visible and felt diversity. That's more immediately obvious but I've actually been here before. I have faced diversity in very intimate circumstances with other white people. And in, I'm saying bozos because here we're talking about white guys, but it could, it's white people. Different circles might be white guys and white um, queer folks, white Jews. Uh, it's really up to people to decide what sort of content they want of their, their circle. But that I've already done that work of going there uh, to really dive deep into diversity between me and other people so that now when it comes to the multiracial work, I have some, I have some resilience. I have built some resilience because I've faced my own diversity. Mm-hmm. I think that's so and brilliant. So we don't, we don't have a website just to wrap this up. We don't have a website. I really wish we did, but one someday soon we're going to, so I can't, you can't send people to this right now. But that being said, if you have a, if y'all have a website, I do have like a three page document that has some basics of what the Freedom Beyond Circle structure looks like and how it works. By all means. Great. Great. Hell yeah. (laughs) Uh, That lands so well with me, this notion that we would have a baseline with other white people. So therefore, when we go to multiracial events or movement organizing events, that's not our baseline. I think that's hugely powerful because the options are so grim and typically it means silence and it means, right. in my case, silence, frustration, dissociation, uh, helplessness. And then I go and, you know, just sort of sit on the couch and drink and wish it was different. Uh, very impotent. Right. So this feels really empowering. It's very exciting to hear. And I know we're up against, I think, your time. Abraham. I have a couple more minutes. Um, I, I do have a couple more minutes. I don't know if are y'all like having to stop right now? Oh, no. We'd we love to have going. a couple more okay. minutes with uh, a great person. Yeah, I can like be you. a little late to this because it feels like an important thing uh, to add to this is uh, to what you're saying, uh, Jeff, is that like, right, you, you sit back on the couch because what else, you, you don't have anything else uh, to, you don't have anything else to go on. And meanwhile, the Nazis are like, hey, Jeff, Jeff. Right. We got an organizer. We, we got a group. We have a clear you mission. Have to change. Stay the same. You don't have to change. Yeah. You're just fine who, how you are. They're the ones who are fucked up. Look you don't how need they to treat be, you. <laughs> you don't need to be uncomfortable. Come over here and be exactly. really, really exactly. empowered and privileged and comfortable. It's a great point. And it's like, how in the world can we expect 
bozos to magically transform ourselves if we don't have infrastructure to hold us. Well, and, and we this don't feels, have communities to hold yeah, us. Because part of, I think, what we're speaking to is this, the, the can of shut up and listen. Um, when you're in a club... And you don't know if you really belong or want to belong, but you have shit tons of privilege. And I'm speaking from my experience in so many ways, it's much easier just to shut up and stay in the club. It's like, well, God, I don't know. Back to the notion of uh, not having a community or a network of folks who, who have similar confusions or longings or how the hell would I find them? Because it feels like we're in this big cloud of white privilege that isn't, isn't necessarily a good place to be, right? It has, all, it has some clear discrete advantages and obvious privilege right. and benefit, but that doesn't mean it's good for us. I think that's another really important right. point. Just because somebody told us these things were valuable doesn't mean they're good for us. And it doesn't have that's the kinds right. of intrinsic value that's for so our right. nourishment and our wellness and our, our communities because, you know, like you said earlier, it's a divisive culture we live in, especially capitalism, especially the United States, the culture of the mm. individual. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's it. And, and if we don't have the, that space for working through that, you know, then that we're not going to, we're not going to get there. And, and I feel like the, when it comes to accountability, I guess it comes back to, to that question. I'm thinking how many voices of non-bozo people have said in one form or another, we need you, people of privilege, whether it's white people, men, whatever, like you are actually 100% necessary to be a part of this work and we can't win without you. What we need is for you to do your work because you're not ready. You are not ready by and large, You and and to which I would add, we haven't been given the infrastructure to yeah, hold right. us the tools. in the process yeah. of marinating into something new. And so if we don't have that, so, but, but that no one's asking to replace us. I shouldn't say no one. I shouldn't say no one. There are people yet non bozos who would love for a world without bozos, but the people <laughs> who I see who are doing the like earth moving work who are not bozos, none of them are saying we want all the bozos to disappear I hear them saying in one form or another, bozos, please do your work so that you can be, so you can show up and be a part of what mm. we're doing. Cause we're trying to build the new world. It's hopeful. It's beautiful. We can do it. But if you can't do your work to figure out how to show up, then we won't be able to do it. Hence, but we'll, we're going to keep doing it regardless, whether or not you show up, we're going to keep doing it. And the door is open. And that's what I've found that when we, when bozos do our work, if we put out a beacon that says we're, I'm trying to do my work. I'm trying to do it. So I'm not keeping it s- silent and secret. The bozo signal. I'm, saying, I'm trying exactly the bozo yeah. signal to the world that says yeah. I'm a bozo, not afraid to admit it. And I'm trying to do my work and I'm probably messing up, but here I'm, I'm that people have been ready for bozos to sh- to, to, to mm. do that work and who want to partner, even who have been wanting to partner with bozos who are willing to do their work. The problem is fewer, not enough bozos who are willing to do our own work. And so that's what, that's what drives me to want to build infrastructure to build a better bozo. It's like you paid me to advertise for your podcast. It just, it's, it's, it gives and gives and gives it and does, gives. It does. Gee. Try this one weird trick. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, I think on that note, that's a pretty good note to to wrap it up on. I think when it comes down to this ultimate universal invitation to step up um, and that everybody's actually like it or not, aware of it or not, willing, waiting, you know, they're not actually they're not waiting. They're, life's going on. I like what you're saying here. The way I relate to this is a lot around. I've been an activist for a long time. I've been active in Palestinian communities. I've been active in movement for black lives. I've been active in queer communities. And time and again, my takeaway is at least now, more than ever before, my front line is white bozos. Yes. That's my front line, like it or not, even though nobody wants to organize with white bozos. This ends up being the frontier. The final mm. frontier. The <laughs> final frontier. <laughs> you can be pioneer. Yeah, right. White bozos, the final frontier. But, but I, I think there are people who actually want to work with bozos who are not bozos. This is the really amazing thing that I'm talking about with the bozo beacon is there are people. And so you say nobody wants to work with bozos and there are indeed a lot of people who don't. But there are people and it's like it makes me think that there's a there are people who are already active in terms of saying like, yeah, I can work with bozos. And it makes me think there are actually probably a lot more people who would be able to work with bozos were the bozos to do their work. And that always is is the hinge that. Well, it's true. Yeah. Doing the work and the willingness to show up and be humbled and, and in some ways maybe even be humiliated, which is which is also back to the resilience piece. Uh, and it also speaks to, um, if no one knows about it, how the hell are they going to do it? Exactly. Right. The dominative narrative is so loud in our headphones right. or in our brains that, right. it, that, that gets back to the divisiveness of this culture. Um, mm. so us having this conversation right now feels really important. Like, Oh, mm. Hey, by the way, there are, there are specifically white men in the world who give a shit who recognize their fallibility, who recognize their responsibility uh, and who hold it if imperfectly um, that, that really want to be helped and also want to help to be part Mm. of the deeper conversation. In addition to the deeper work of collective liberation. Mm. You know, what comes to mind as an organizer, and this might be something that is already stepping way down a rabbit hole that we don't have time for today (laughs) But as an organizer, I know what you're. Spe- what I hear you speaking to is the need for certain organizing infrastructure, that uh, a need for platforms in different cities that can broadcast and say, "Hey, here is a safe place for conversation to be had, for community to be built." And the fact of the matter is that that currently does not really exist there are chapters for surge there are different men's groups that are that are mushrooming we are both we're now all aware also of the organizing white men for collective liberation which is a recent Mm -hmm. development in our spaces but still um and it's and it's an it's a fascinating paradox because by definition we're also speaking to the most abundant um demographic there ought not be uh, uh, such a challenge in creating an infrastructure, of, you know, that has the finances and can pay actual organizers to say, "Hey, right. this is something that's happening around us. We can create an infrastructure that doesn't that not only supports this internal transformation in Bozo Land, but also can all uh, can can spill over to 
to other organizing platforms, and yet we're not quite there yet. And I wonder, um, I wonder, Abraham, what thought you've given to this, and if you're um, involved in this kind of infrastructure mm -hmm. development, um, yeah, something you want to, you know, bring to our attention. Yeah, well, again, it goes to this this flipping thing where it's like, it, it, to me, it's like material, separating the material and the spiritual. Like white men have the art infrastructure for material development is so deep that it is invisible to most to, to most of us and in, and even to many non-bozo people. That to where the infrastructure for developing our material circumstances is so deep it's taken as like normal, right? The flip of that is the infrastructure for our spiritual leadership development is so scarce as to be borderline non-existent in a sort of organized collective way to what you're saying. There's this here and this here and this here, the men's work and white people's work. And there's all these pieces, but it's not super coordinated. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it, I would, I would put forward, it seems to mirror for people living under the oppression of us bozos. There is such lack of material infrastructure, which has necessitated incredible development, you know, leadership and spiritual development infrastructure. And I don't think that's an accident. So we have to, if we're talking about spiritual development infrastructure for bozos, we have to consider what we're up against. We're trying to offer an alternative paradigm to some to infrastructure that's so deep that we don't even see it. Yep. And so it doesn't. It shouldn't surprise us that it's hard to build this infrastructure. It should be like, oh, that makes sense. Just as the reasons why we shouldn't be surprised that it's hard for Black people to be able to build financial infrastructure to uplift black communities because since the founding of this country, it's been about preventing that. So it shouldn't be surprising to us that, that that's hard. And it's, I think it's a similar dynamic. And so we have to give it that kind of concern. We have to look at it as like, wow, this is quite a mountain to climb and we got to figure out how to climb it. And I believe that if we can climb it, we're going to support, to use that example I just used, that is going to be supportive. We are going to generate resources that flow to Black communities lifting themselves up in terms of their material circumstances to be able to have the kind of stability and security that every human deserves. New paradigm infrastructure. Part of me is super inspired, and another part of me is massively daunted. <laughs> totally. yeah. yeah, talk about a like a not just a rabbit hole, but like a. a portal into potential black hole in terms of enormity. And, um, it's, I'm with you, Mika, it's exciting and inspiring mm. and also definitely daunting yeah. because we're so organized towards the almighty dollar right. and uh, being white. I appreciated on your website, the James Baldwin quote and another one of his that I so value is being white means never having to think about it. Mm. And so here we are, this is the air yeah. we breathe and the water we swim in. And, you know, the classic, well, I'm not racist, you know, those kinds right. of things, because it's not right. looking at systemic racism. It's not looking at the structure. And, and here we are identifying that structure. And it's, yeah. it's certainly formidable. And I'll go back to the Death Star. There was... That weakness in the Death Star. That's right. Because the someone, exhaust port. yeah, exhaust port. Someone inside in the prequels right. built in 
Very cleverly, right. one weakness. That is right. Yes. And, and so we, you know, the metaphor obviously falls a little bit short because it's relying on one heroic man. Yeah, right. But absolutely, that's it. It's, and that's where it's like what you're naming is where solidarity for me personally as a rich white man, it's where solidarity becomes actually possible that I can look at the daunting mountain in front of us that you're talking about. And again, thinking of it as like, oh, wow, the spiritual infrastructure building that is going to be such a challenge. And then I can look across to people who are being oppressed materially and I can, I have a lived experience of looking up at that mountain and saying, holy shit, how are we going to do this? In a way that if I look over at black uh, colleagues of mine and I think, wow, what must it be like to look up at the mountain of the material infrastructure yep. that they've been denied? Yep. Whoa, I have a shared experience. I have a shared experience <laughs> yeah. with people who have been oppressed. Me as someone who uh, has experienced so little oppression in my life. I have a lived experience now to connect up to, to, and now I'm not going to equate that. I'm not going to go up to them and say, we have the same experience, but I can live in it inside. I can root myself in that because then when I come to the table, I can actually sit down with the presence of someone who has the humility and pride of a peer. I can say I actually have the potential to be a peer here. So this feels both really brilliant because I absolutely get what you're saying in terms of relative to where you've been, we've got a similar uh, climb ahead, uh, at least in terms of position in the world. And it also feels and like obstacles throwing... against us. Obstacles yes, that like, what totally. are the kind of obstacles that are against us succeeding? Yeah. Thanks for the clarifications. Uh, and it also feels like throwing a match into a barrel of dynamite. Like that, oh, yeah. that's the part where I'm just like, uh, I just had an internal, yeah. uh, oh no. Yeah. Abraham just said about that. About equating them, right? Yeah, about yeah, equating yeah. those two the, things? The whole Absolutely. notion that we'd be a peer. And on the one hand, this is, this is where I think we all need culturally uh, more resilience to go back to the Buddha, the Bodhisattva's vow, right? That, that we are, I am you, you are me. I am that. Um, that feels like it needs to pervade any conversation we have about equating one another as peers when there are such clear delineations of oppression, such clear delineations mm. of uh, marginalization and and lack, utter lack, in addition to, of course, all the terrible shit that goes along with it. Um, but I do really feel like what you're saying is radical in a, in a, in a vital way. No, but you're, I think you're right about, we do need to root ourselves in that sense of we are all one and it's a polarity. We're all one and everything in the universe is distinct. Mm -hmm. So I can be both, oh, I, me and Mika and Jeff, we're all one. We're part of the same thing. There's, there's no disconnection between us. Yeah. At the same time, I am unique from Mika and unique from Jeff. If we can't hold that tension, then we do run into the danger of showing up to the multiracial table and saying, hey, we're all in this together, right? <laughs> right. It's more like, yeah, we actually, and, and a lot of this is not what I'm going to say. It's what I'm going to move with. So I'm not going to come in there saying we're all in this together, right? Yeah. But I'm, I'm trying to go in there with the grounding, with the support of my white male colleagues in particular who are in this with me, right? to walk in there and knowing in my gut we're all one. We're all part of the same thing. And we are distinct and can, and can never be equated. So both, if I can hold that yeah. tension, a big a book I'd, I'd, I'd love to prop up here 
is Shelly Toshluck's Living in the Tension, which I know nobody can see. I'm wow. up to the... Well, you're, you're showing but, it to us. That's great. Right. It's called the Quest, the quest for, for Spiritualized for... Racial Justice. And what she does is she looks at tensions, like polarities uh, uh, within racial justice work in particular. She's not talking exclusively to white white people. She's a white woman, but she's especially talking to white people. It feels very relevant for white people. So each chapter is is holding a tension between, chapter one is transcendence and race consciousness, which is to what we're talking about. How do I transcend? How do I see that we're all one? We're all part of the same spirit. Mm -hmm. And also, by the way, I can never live a similar experience to this black person because of the fact that I'm seen as white and they're seen as black. Hold that tension. Chapter two, self-acceptance and self-improvement. How do I accept myself as fundamentally good enough because I'm alive, that that's actually enough. And I need to, I'm going to commit myself to a lifetime self-improvement at the same time. Each chapter is like that. It's, it's saying we have to actually hold both of these intention and I've found it to be a very reliable guide and, and support in that work of holding that tension. So we don't do what you're, what you're totally legitimately worried about, yeah. which is showing up in spaces that aren't full of bozos and trying to come with a, a sort of flattening, um, overly generalizing, we're all the same sort of thing. Absolutely not. This, I'm talking more to what we carry around in our gut. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's a great clarification. And it does feel like the term right-sized, like being right-sized, uh, yeah. which again, there's a dynamic, uh, there's a dynamism that has to go with being right-sized. Uh, mm. To your point earlier, uh, in certain contexts, it's going to be important for me to use my power and privilege to say, no, what you're doing is exactly. not okay. And in another exactly. context, it's going to be really important for me to be right-sized and shut my mouth and be grateful I'm there and, and I'm part of this mm-hmm. thing and listen and learn. Right-sized, not a not a static thing. No. It is a fluid thing. Right. Yep. That's it. That's it. I feel like naming for our listeners at this point, because so much of this conversation feels super grounded to me, and another, you know, and it at the same time feels completely <laughs> abstract in so many ways, and, and that's one more tension mm. to hold. Um, yeah. And, and, Paradox, and, baby. Yeah, and to put out to, to, to the bozos that are listening – since this is for us bozos, that that there ought to be questions, there ought to be challenges, please be in touch um, and send them in. Um, there will be contact information with this. We'll make sure to have more information about Abraham's work and Freedom Beyond um, and, and links to, to... Risk something... To, to, to risk something in different articles and 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 to the book that that Abraham just held up to the screen which you didn't see um just because I feel like this is a this is a big ongoing conversation it's not it's something to wrap up in in a little over an hour yeah. right I definitely well, I'm glad we got a little extra time <laughs> yes same I, I really want to state and I think I'll speak for Mika here it'd be great to have you back on at some point in the near future, Abraham, because we just opened a big old cosmic can of worms uh, yeah. that feels super juicy and intelligent and, yeah. and important. Um, right. because, and I feel personally uh, hopeful because I've been sitting with a lot of just kind of stagnant, God, what the fuck do I do for a long yeah. time? Which is part of why Mika and I started The Better Bozo is is to connect with people like you so we can be more edified, so we can have more uh, robust qualities and more resilience and more intelligence and mm-hmm. humility 
and also audacity. And I think that's what you're up to, man. Mm. So super Thank appreciate you. Well, I feel honored. You guys uh, invited me on. I feel honored to be an honorary bozo. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not even honorary. Not honorary. You're just bonafide, a bozo. Bonafide, bonafide <laughs> bozo. Bonafide bozo, man. Yes. I hope you're going to, I hope you're going to send me like a patch that I can sew on my jacket or something that says like official bozo. Oh, yeah. We're working on that already. Thanks yep. to you. On I also, it. I want to come up with the bozo Great. beacon as well, which is something you said. Bozo beacon. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's like you could listen to that and say, oh, they're being flipped. But at the same time, no. I'm like this kind of ability to be light, to be, to find the lightness in it is again, something I take inspiration from oppressed communities, mm. like to mm. watch Black people, to, to our native people, the way they organize women, the way they organize with hu- like the, how humor always seems to be woven in mm. and then hanging out in white communities and just to see how hard it is to it, like in a, you know, a, an organizing setting to find humor that feels grounded and like actually able to be voiced. Yeah. And it's like, if we can't find that, how are we going to attract all the, how are we going to attract hundreds of thousands of bozos yep. to be a part of this kind of work. Yeah. Better bozo and a deeper doofus. Yeah. It's a great, <laughs> great point. Man. Deeper doofus. <laughs> so I'm just honored to, and I'd love to, you know, I'd love to be in this conversation more. As you said, this is, we're really, what we're talking about here is a four hour conversation. And we just, we just touched on some things. I would yeah. love to make it very concrete. Like, the things I'm saying are rooted in my experience. And so I have stories for like, oh yeah, here's how I learned where the line between mm. this and that and oh, where yeah. how to dance. Oh yeah, those are helpful. That's always <laughs> that shit's really helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Then that's that's part of what I think we'll get up to in the future is is rooting this in real life experience. Cause the the examples are so valuable because abstract is hard. It's really yeah. hard. You know, reading a book is really yeah. Uh, important. And if we don't have a, well, how the hell did Abraham get there? Jesus Christ, I'll never right. get to where Abraham got. So your stories, we'll look forward to, to more of those soon. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually seeing it as like, could be a spliced together episode that was like uh, potentially like pieces of the more abstract conversation and then spliced in with like, here's an oh, actual concrete cool. example. That's a good one. I yeah. like that. I like that too. Yep. Oh, but that's we can smooth. talk more about making that happen technologically or whatever. It may be that that would be more helpful than what we've recorded just by itself. I don't know. I'd have to re-listen to it. We can oh, yeah. So we, yeah, we, we've got an editor and we could just come back and have another story time with you. I don't know. It's, a, it's, a, it's an idea, you know, it's a great idea. Yeah. Um, oh. Okay. I think we need really to wrap. grateful it. to you guys. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me. I, I love what you're doing. I'm like, I said, I'm already using, I'm probably going to walk out of here and start talking about bozos. Like, I'll check out a better bozo. <laughs> love what you guys are doing. Really humbled and grateful to be a part of it. And yeah, definitely let's more conversation to follow. Sounds we good. Abraham. We only got to a little bit of it. It's true. Hey, gotcha. before we go, how do you pronounce your last name? So we're, we know how to say it. Thank you. Latiner. Latiner. Boom. Be honest. What, what were you going to say? Lightener. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I think I heard somebody else say Latiner, and I was like, oh. oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. People who are close to me often get it wrong, so don't feel bad. <laughs> Fair. Okay. I'm into it. Oh, I've got it now. Abraham, so All good right. to, to be with you. Yeah, you guys too. Yeah. See, see you on down the Bozo Trail. Sounds good. You take <laughs> care, man. The Bozo Bye. Trail. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Uh, 
All right. That was so good. It was so good. Abraham Latiner. So glad we did that. I'm the better bozo. Me too.